Hey, this is Taylor Strickland. I'm one of the pastors at Second Baptist Church West Campus, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message teaches you, inspires you, and strengthens your faith. To learn more about a Second Students ministry, just check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Search Second Students West. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Uh, okay. Great. Love to hear it. Um, well, if you don't know me, uh, like you said, my name is Kobe Abram. Um, I have actually grown up at Second Baptist. I've been here since I was 18 months old, coming up on my 21st birthday, so literally all of my life. Um, I am, like he said, the interim jump director, which means that I help lead worship uh, through singing, through dancing, through acting, through all the fun things upstairs for our first through third grade students. Super sweet kids, love what I do, uh, very passionate about it, and it's an honor to be able to do that. So, this morning, we are going to be diving into a new series where we are studying the book of James. So if you would, open your Bibles to James chapter 1, the first chapter in James. But before we get reading, I want to tell you a story. Can I do that? I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Um, my college experience started in Chicago, Illinois. Now, you're like, what? I thought you grew up here. I absolutely did. However, I moved to Chicago to go to a school called Moody Bible Institute. It's a Bible college in downtown Chicago. Um, it's a four-year program, and that's where I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to stay there forever and study all the things and get super excited about it. But when I arrived, I realized something that was a little disheartening. You're like, what was that, Kobe? I even before college, endured a lot of bullying. Now, I didn't even recognize it as that until I got so much older. But I arrived at this Bible college thinking that this wouldn't even be a thing, right? We're all Christians. We're on the same page here. We all know what we're doing. No. While that may be the case, I had an expectation on people that was far beyond what they could have ever amounted to. Because people, you and I, are not perfect. But I thought, oh, finally, people who get it, who aren't going to do these things because we love Jesus, which ultimately should be the case. But it wasn't in my experience. And so throughout a year and a half of school in Chicago, which, by the way, Chicago, side note, is the most frigid place ever. The weather, stupid. Anyway, um, I went through a polar vortex. What even is that? I don't know. Um, I have like 17 coats. Anyway, um, through that first year and a half at school, um, I endured probably the worst bullying I'd ever experienced. Um, so after a while, I decided to come home because... I spiraled into what I would consider now to be a depressive cycle. Now, some of you in here may know what I'm talking about through experience. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about through experience, which praise God for that. However, I recognized that I was not doing well. But can I offer you some insight that I did not have during that experience? I realized the entire time that I was at school 
God was gently whispering to me the entire time. What was he saying? He was asking me, Kobe, am I enough for you? Am I going to be enough for you? These people, as you've seen, are not going to be enough for you. Friendships aren't going to be enough for you. Relationships aren't going to be enough for you. Teachers aren't going to be enough for you, Bible or not. All the while, he carried me and never let me fall into a place of self-harm, of super, super low self-expectation because God is a keeper. As it says in Jude, he's able to keep you. Now, I don't want to negate anyone's personal experience of any sort of um, self-harm or any sort of um, negative thoughts about yourself, but I want to offer you some insight into my personal experience of being at this school and being put through the fire of where I thought I wouldn't be. Hello, what kind of crazy person am I to think that? But God put me through this fire, I know now, to refine me. We're the first generation to be like, oh my word, Maverick City Music, yes. If you don't know who they are, look them up. Uh, the song Refiner is a great song. It talks about being refined through the fire of God. And we're the first ones to put our hands up and be like, yes, Lord, please refine me through fire. All of a sudden, it starts getting hot, and you're like, uh-oh, this ain't it for me. This is not an enjoyable experience. And most likely, it won't make you feel good. But can I tell you something? God is intentional, and God is kind. There's a problem we have in our minds, even as Christians. We have a wrong understanding of who God is and why and how he uses the testing of our faith in our Christian walk. So today, we're going to walk through what that actually looks like. We're going to be in the book of James. Now, Backstory on James. Who wrote it? Well, if you didn't know, uh, the history accounts for James, the half-brother of Jesus, being the author of this book. Now, what is the purpose of James writing this book? Well, he's writing to Jewish Christians who were dispersed after enduring extremely harsh persecution, and he's writing to encourage and give them practical ways to live out in the Christian, in the Christian life. Now, who is he writing to? This is awesome, you guys. He's writing, like I said, to Jewish Christians who had fled Jerusalem. Now, backstory on that. The book of Acts, great book. Actually, a two-part volume with Luke written together. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a verse often attributed to uh, missions, global missions, it reads... This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he goes back to heaven after he died and rose. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, post this verse, after this verse, Jesus ascends. He goes to heaven. The disciples are like, there's a cloud. He's gone. What just happened? Acts chapter 2 comes around. Something that we know called the Pentecost happens. Now, Pentecost was not a singular event. 
Pentecost was a recurring festival of harvest that ancient Israel had participated in for generations. Now, this, this um, festival was a festival of first fruits. You're like, Kobe has a bunch of words. I don't know what's going on. Track with me. Don't lose me. First fruits meaning that the ancient Israelites, out of their crops that they harvested, gave a portion, the best portion, to God to do what? To be reminded that God is provider because it's all his to begin with, and to show that they trusted in God's provision over their lives. And so thousands of Jews had come from all over into Jerusalem as kind of the hub of um, celebrating or experiencing Pentecost together. Now, after Jesus rose, you can imagine the disciples were like, wait a minute, isn't the Spirit supposed to come? And then Acts chapter 2 hits, and it's awesome. The Spirit of God comes to the 12 disciples. They go out, and a group gathers around them. And as they're teaching about the truths of Jesus, every person in the crowd hears it in their native language. Now you can imagine, there's only 12 people right now. How could they do that? The power of the Holy Spirit actually empowered them to speak in what we call tongues. Different conversation for a different time, but just know that in this moment, everybody in the audience heard this message in their native tongue. The Bible says thousands believed and were added to their number. So thousands became Christians. Now, as you can imagine, the establishment of this church in Jerusalem was not a good look from the Jewish leader's position. They're looking and seeing, wait a minute, hold on. We know Israel's history. They have a bad history of bowing down to idols and wrecking themselves. So this Jesus guy, yeah, he's not the Messiah. That's an idol. So what happens with them internally? Infuriated. What does that cause them to do? In their flesh, in their human nature, they react and seek to harm, persecute, and kill Christians. Because in their minds, that's a false religion. All the while, they missed that all that scripture they knew in their minds was pointing to Jesus. Regardless, there's a man named Stephen in Acts, and he's actually the first documented martyr uh, in the Bible. What does that mean? That means that he died for the sake of the gospel. He was stoned to death outside of the city. Now, being one of those thousands of uh, Jews who just like popped up for a festival, you're like, hold on, wait a minute. This man is dead outside this city right now. Um, is that what's going to happen to me? Yeah. Most likely, they would have faced death threats, imprisonment, and all sorts of suffering daily. And so what do they do? They left. Y'all, this is so cool. This next part, oh my word. I literally ran around my house yesterday. Anyway, um, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So we fast forward quite a bit from chapter 1. It says, on that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, the ones who had seen the risen Jesus, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Didn't we just hear those names of places like a while back? Yes. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, the 12 disciples stayed. In Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Now track with me. 
Jesus' promise came true through what? Through literal persecution. Through literal suffering. The means by which God brings about his promises are not always, quote-unquote, the most enjoyable. But why is that? We're going to read about that in just a hot second. So, if you would, James chapter 1, verse 2 reads, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pause. Knowing what we know now about who he's writing to, you're like, wait a minute. This is kind of insensitive. This is, this is kind of rude. This is, this is kind of rude. James is saying, hey, people who are like facing death every day, your brother just got dragged to prison. You're about to get uh, beheaded. Uh, you need to consider that joy. I'm sorry, James. That's literally disrespectful. But he's like, no, because you've missed the object of your faith in the midst of that trial. Our first point is that joy is found in the presence of God. I'll say it again. Joy is found in the presence of God. David, King David, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, writes this. He's speaking to God. To God. You make known to me the path of life. Here's the part. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What did David just say? In the presence of God is where we find joy. Now James wrote, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. What did he not say? He didn't say, hey, 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 be happy. My gosh, this is so much fun. Be so happy. No. Did he say be optimistic? No. What did he say? Consider it joy. Here's the difference. Happiness is moment by moment. It is dependent on your current circumstance. Optimism says, oh, oh my gosh, I am so excited about the outcome that's going to make me feel the best. No. Joy is rooted in the knowledge and the experience of God's peace and God himself in the midst of an extreme trial. Now, in verses 3 through 4, I want us to read together. It says this. It's the reason for which he tells them to be joyful. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our second point today. Tests are designed to sanctify us. I'll say it again. Tests are designed to sanctify us. You're like, Kobe, what are you even saying right now? Is that even English? Yes, it is, ladies and gents, and I will define my terms for you. What is sanctification? It is the process of the Holy Spirit alongside your obedience to walk in righteousness to shape you and to mold you and to fashion you more into the image of Christ daily. In your thoughts, in your deeds, in your motivations, in your affections, in your character, in all of these things. Why would he do that? To bring God glory. And so when we say, oh my, I don't, I don't like this test. I get it. Hello? It is hard 
but it's intentional and it's purposeful. Because God says, not only, not only am I going to justify you or make you right in my sight, but I'm going to sanctify you and make you like Christ for the purpose of bringing myself glory. And if you have a hard time with that, I think you have a misunderstanding of who God is. He is worthy of everything we could ever give him. How did I come to that realization? The word of God. This is your, my, our lifeline. This is how we come to know God. This is how we come to know his voice. This is how we come to know his character. And so when the world says, your God is some dictator who's pulling strings to see his creation fall, they're wrong. They're simply wrong. Because they have a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. But God is so kind, he's so kind, that he gave us his word so we can come to know him and not be led astray by the world. Now the word testing in this verse actually is similar to one that was used by silversmiths. So I want you to imagine this with me. This is me. Hi, I'm a silversmith. I don't know what to do with that, but imagine for this moment. There's a giant, like, pot, I don't know, um, of silver over fire. What do I do? I burn the silver, I melt it down until the impurities come to the surface. I scrape off that layer, and I continue that process over and over and over again until the silver is so pure that I can look down and see my reflection. Do you see where I'm going with this? God tests our faith not to be like, I wonder if it's true. No. To prove that it's true. To demonstrate, to display that your faith is true. Because true faith in Jesus is enduring faith. I'll say it again. True faith is enduring faith. And so when God tests you and refines you and puts you in that fire that is super uncomfortable, he's all the while making you more like Christ to bring glory to himself. Tests, the testing of our faith is purposeful. It is to make us more like Christ. And I feel like a lot of us in here, and myself included at times, we have a very hard time with that. Well, God, but why would I? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be uncomfortable. I didn't sign up to walk through these things. I didn't sign up for my parents to fight. I didn't sign up to lose this family member. I didn't sign up for some pandemic. I didn't sign up for political unrest. I didn't sign up for racial and social conversations all day long. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But do you know what God says? Number one, I'll never leave you. <laughs> Chills. God will never, never leave us. He won't leave us. No matter what your, what your heart is telling you, oh, I feel like God has left me. Can I, can I bring something to mind real fast? In Jeremiah, he says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all else. <gasps> what does that mean, Kobe? Your heart's a liar. Your heart will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you at times. But do you know what's honoring to God? Is to bring these feelings 
to him. A lot of times we're like, oh my gosh, well, I can't tell God that I'm sad. I can't do that. Nope. I can't tell God I'm frustrated. Nope, can't do that. I can't tell God that I'm, that I'm like in some kind of fog. I can't do that. Did you know God gave you emotions? <gasps> what? If God designed your body, if God gave you your soul, if God instituted emotions, guess what is honoring to him? To bring those things to him. And I'm telling you right now from personal experience, amen, you will learn a new intimacy with God depending on how you're quote-unquote feeling day by day because he meets you in every one of those encounters, every one of those. And so when the days go by and you say, well, I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't want to experience this anymore. Bring those feelings, thoughts to him because he hasn't left you and he won't. Our last point today comes from verse 12. So skip down a little bit. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This life, this physical, this body, life is temporary. It doesn't last forever. But for Christians, we have a hope that extends beyond our physical present reality. We have the hopeful expectation and promise of Jesus that will not fail, mind you, that we as Christians will dwell in the presence of God for all of eternity. <laughs> what? That is literally the best news on the face of this planet. Period. I don't care. Period. That's where I'm at. This is the best news. And so when, you're, when your momentary afflictions start to rise up and you're, you're, you're at the breaking point, refer back to Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul says, nothing in this world, nothing that can come against you in this world is comparable to what you'll experience in eternity. But can I offer you something else? If you are a Christian, God is with you right now. It's not just something to look forward to. It is a present reality. God is with you right now. So when you're walking through, I mean hard hard stuff. Recognize that God hasn't left you and he won't. And the testing of your faith is purposeful to bring about a fruit called perseverance, which is a steadfastness or a keep walking through the difficultness, the difficulty. Because it strengthens you and refines you into the image of Jesus and all that you are to bring God glory. He's so purposeful and masterful with the way that he does things. And he's so kind to do that. So now you're like, great, Kobe, that's awesome. Love that for us. Now what do I do? I wake up tomorrow morning, I heard the message, I wrote my notes, 
haven't read them, what do I do? Three things that I want you to do. Ready? Here we go. Application. What are we going to do? Number one, develop spiritual disciplines. What is that? These are examples. Solitude. Pulling yourself away from the day by day to get alone with God. Prayer. Which so often is kind of tossed aside as a last resort or as a, we'll do that real quick. Which in my mind is a little crazy. Because if truly our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus, then our direct line of communication has to be at the front of our life. Has to be. It has to be. Number two, I want you to pray for God to give you wisdom in the midst of your trial. Because in James, in, the, in those verses from 5 through 11 that we kind of ran over, I encourage you to read that by yourself, it says that those who ask for wisdom without doubt will be given that wisdom by God. So ask for wisdom in the middle of your trial, of your testing, knowing that God is saying, I'm not going to leave you, but I'm making you stronger for me. Number three, last one, seek out brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk alongside you through your things. Because I don't want us to just, let, I, don't, I don't want us to just come to church. I want us to like be the church. Does that make sense? I want us to know how each other are doing. I want us to pray for, pray with, pray about each other. I want us to encourage each other with scripture. I want us to love on each other, meet our needs. I want us to be the church. I don't want us to just come here, shut up, and sit down, and see you next Sunday. Because that's not how this thing was designed. It's just not. I can go anywhere, sit down. I can go to school. I can go to school, sit down, hear my teacher, and then leave. Cool, now what? That's not how it's designed. This is an everyday thing with each other because God has designed each of us Christians with a unique set of giftings that complement each other and build each other up because he's so purposeful. So you don't have to walk through your things alone, nor are you designed to. So find brothers and sisters who can walk alongside you because you'll be amazed at the change of view, the change of your point of view in the midst of trial when you recognize who God is, why he's doing what he's doing, and who he's equipped to do it with you.